you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and today I'd like to welcome a very special guest to the show. His name is Dan Seabrook. Dan and I have been working for quite a long way. He's actually our VP sales here at Operatics. And moving forward, he will become one of the co-hosts of our B2B Revenue Acceleration podcast. So welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks, Ray. Yeah, no, really looking forward to joining the show. And uh, I think there's a lot of people that I've met over the years in at events, clients, past clients, hopefully some prospects as well that um, should be able to offer a lot of value to to the show. So uh, yeah, looking forward to getting going. And I, I think it's going to be a challenge as well. So uh, looking forward to learning it over the course of the <laughs> yeah. I am sure you will be absolutely perfect. So you've been with Operatics for nearly five years, nearly five years. And, and before we start every single podcast, we ask the, the people who are just coming as, as a guest to introduce a bit about themselves. But I guess what would be interesting for our audience today and as, as you, you know, becoming our Cost or my cost to the to the B two B revenue acceleration podcast. It, it would be great if you could share a little bit around you know your journey at Operatics, why you started, how you progressed, and I think your journey is particularly interesting. So, would you mind just sharing a little bit about your journey with us? Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of going back, sort of prior to Operatics, you're correct. It's interesting in the context of working in, in the industry you're in, simply because I'm coming from a sporting background. So, I played a lot of sport, particularly football or soccer to our American listeners up until about 19. And then I actually took the opportunity to go to university in North America. So my career has taken me kind of full circle now, what with, what with the involvement we have in the US. But um, yeah, in 2014, I believe, I, I joined Operatics and I joined Operatics in exactly the same position that everyone in the management team joins a company. So I joined right at the bottom, which is really in that, that business development, sales development type role whereby my remit was to work on behalf of my clients to support them to accelerate the volume of sales engagements they were having with, with their target end users. Working with many different interesting companies, ranging from cybersecurity to fraud to storage to big data. And then after about a year, there became an opening in what was your sales team, of course, and yep. I, I moved across to the sales team. So initially, I started doing exactly for the sales team what we'd been doing for our clients, which was setting up meetings with potential prospects within target software companies. And they could have been small, medium, or the very large enterprise software companies. Over the last few years, my career developed further, whereby moved into a, a full field sales role, which is really my responsibility to help operatics acquire, grow, and retain clients. And then um, more recently, over the last sort of year and a half, I guess, moving into a I guess sort of a dual role in that it's a sales management, but also a quota carrying role, whereby owning the the top line for operatics, but also uh, carrying a quota myself. So it's exciting in that. I think what I can offer to our, our our clients and listeners is experience going right from the bottom all the way through the business, having done the job ourselves, and and obviously as as you'll know, that's that's the methodology that we apply to everyone that moves into a management position at operatics. Yeah, well, I've got to say it's a, it's a great journey. Uh, this is a sort of journey that we look. We love to create, obviously, at Operatics. I think you, you understood the opportunity and done a fantastic job all the way through. So, uh, but on the back to you, but here you are now, you know, on top of being a kind of our chief revenue officer, the top salesperson, the, the person responsible for the top line within the business, you now 
the cost of the B2B revenue acceleration show. So congratulations that was for the promotion, I guess. <laughs> so I guess let's get drilling in the first question because I think I think there is a few things that I would like to discuss with you today around the market we are in, some of the misconception in the market. And the first one, I often hear some misconceptions about sales development, business development, and the one that is probably the most present at the moment when we engage with prospect or even when we speak to clients is that outsourcing your pipeline development programs is actually more expensive than recruiting, developing an internal team. So obviously, in your role, you meet with tons of customers, right? Tons of prospects. You've got people from the Bay Area up to Tel Aviv, going through Paris, Munich, London. You've got prospects everywhere. So I'd like to get your thoughts. And if you could share your thoughts on on, on that topic of the cost of insourcing versus outsourcing, and is it really cheaper to recruit your own team? Yeah. Yes, you make a good point. I think the first thing is is indeed that geographical sort of location where where you'd be looking to build a team from. If I if I take it in a very sort of simple view, really, uh, a lot of our clients are either building teams up in places like San Francisco or New York or London in a meter. Obviously, there's there's anomalies whereby they'll build teams from other regions, but I think they tend to tend to be the the main kind of locations where they'll build team from. And and as we all know, the Bay Area, super expensive, not only to live, but also to hire and to build teams there, both from a salary and a, and a real estate perspective. And it's a very similar story in London. I think um, just as an as a interesting anecdote on that, I think not only is it expensive, it's also really difficult to actually recruit those resources. But um, I'll come on to that point in a second. I think one of the, one of the, the obvious pushbacks we get when we sit down with a client, we build a business case, we put together a proposal. It's a bit of a simplistic view on the numbers. I think the the challenge we often run into is that a client will look at the black and white numbers of what an operatic business case could look like and just simply compare that to what the salary of an internal resource would be. And if you took it at face value like that, in the Bay Area in London, I would actually argue it probably wouldn't be wouldn't be too dissimilar, but it, it could be slightly, it could look, look like a more cost-effective option in hiring internally. But obviously, when you work with operatics, you don't incur the costs of things like the cost of seat, the management of the resources, the technology, the data, and uh, the 401k or, or pension contributions and all the other benefits that go with hiring an employee internally. And when you add those costs onto a model uh, that, that, that operatics provide, well, it, it, it starts to actually look more expensive hiring internally versus, versus outsourcing. Having said that, we, we don't really, at operatics, and I think you'd agree with this, we don't really like to sell based on the fact we're cheaper or a more cost-effective option. I think we like to sort of get a feel for what they're trying to achieve in their business. And one of the first questions I, I always ask is, well, what would that internal resource be doing? And I think yeah. often what the, the feedback is, well, they'll be doing a lot of inbound response management, so following up on, on marketing qualified leads. And often the story that, that plays out is that they probably don't have enough internal, they don't have enough marketing qualified leads I should, to justify one full-time equivalent resource internally. So from, from our perspective at Operatics, we'd probably expect a full-time resource to require around three to 400 marketing qualified leads, depending on the quality of the data to keep yeah. them busy for 20, an average of 20 working days per month. Very often, if we're talking about a startup, for example, and they're, they're, entire, they're hiring those, those resources for the first time, they don't have that volume. So therefore, what are they going to be doing to keep that resource busy? And, and often then it starts to become actually a, 
from a cost perspective, you need 0.5 of a resource and we can offer that, that flexibility. I think that's particularly right when it comes to people moving to Europe. When you come into Europe and you may have, I don't know, a little bit of MQLs in Italy, a fair amount in France, a fair amount in Germany, a fair amount in the UK, but basically you only have a budget for three at count. So I think the beauty of being able to cut and dice and having you know a quarter of a resource Spanish, half of a resource German, half of a resource French, one full-time resource English, and being able to manage those languages because things change is, is very important. Sorry, I'll let you carry on on, the, on, on your track of thoughts. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. The other thing is around the productivity. So yes, you could, you could do the numbers, you can run some numbers internally and think, well, actually, yes, I can still make it, it cheaper because I could hire a rep straight out of school, for example, in the Bay Area or London, and, and they'd be pretty cheap. But then the challenge you have to run into is what is their productivity or what's the time for them to be productive? From a productivity perspective, often we see if you, pure, if you take purely a, a proactive outbound approach to enterprise accounts, we often see that, that our benchmark operatics is, is significantly higher than, than, than perhaps what a, an internal resource would be. And that's because I, in a business like, such as ours, we're coming from a vantage point whereby we have a lot of clients and we have best practices and data and the management structure in place that allows those resources to be successful, number one. But number two, the time to be productive is, an, is a really in, interesting point because, again, it could look more cost effective on paper. But if that resource isn't delivering any results for the first three months because you're having to put together a playbook, you're having to train them, you're having to integrate technologies, you're having to go out and find data, you're having to hire a manager to manage that rep. Well, then they may actually, it starts to look a little bit more expensive if you're getting value from them three, six months down the line versus what you could have got from a, a company like us almost instantly, simply again, yeah. because we have one of the best practices in place. So I think they're, they're two really important pieces, which is around not only the ultimate productivity, but the time to being productive. And then the other point just to, to make on that is hiring based on strengths. What I would say is that if you were to hire a res- if you want to build a team purely based on doing inbound response management, I do believe that could potentially be, not in all cases, but using a generalization here, could potentially be more cost effective than utilizing a company like Operatics. Where we see that we often are augmenting an internal team or replacing that, that entire sort of proactive approach is doing exactly that going to the named accounts. And again, that's often where real revenue is being generated because the sales team can't necessarily control where those MQLs, or definitely can't control where those MQLs are coming from. So the marketing team can do a great job, but they're still maybe not getting into their real target accounts. And that's where I think, again, on paper, it could look like a more cost-effective option to, to have the team internally. But if you can go to your proactive target accounts and be successful and go to the C-level and penetrate those accounts, and go and win the large deals within those those larger organizations that are named accounts. Well, I think that starts to actually justify the spend and, and increase your return on investment. So they're, they're sort of a few of the main points that we, we like to discuss. Yeah, I, agree. I think on the on the last point that you made, it's, it's a very good point. I think you can't blame inside teams. We you know when you've got a culture on following up on inbounds, people tend to focus on their product. They tend to focus about me, 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 my product. And, and that's fair enough because you are talking to someone who just made an inquiry or downloaded something or basically gave you a signal that they are interested by your product. So that's fantastic. So obviously, when you engage with them, they're already kind of in a process of searching. Because they're in a process of searching, they probably will want to have a bit more of a technical conversation and they probably want to speak about product. And that's fine. You know, you can speak about product when someone comes to you, they are looking to buy a car, they will already ask you a question about, okay, 
this is the sort of engine that I want. This is the sort of consumption that I want. This is the sort of size because that's the size of my family or whatever. So they will have some criteria and you will have to be a bit more product driven. However, I agree with you on the point that when you do the account base, what I personally see when you do a bit more of an account based approach and you try to proactively engage with those accounts, we see inside teams struggling because they've been so, I'm going to use a very strong term here, but you know, it's, it's, I think it's the reality. They've been brainwashed by their product team, by their, you know, all the people around them. And of course, everybody in their company is telling them that their solutions are fantastic because that's, that's the right thing to do. But they are sometimes a little bit too brainwashed about the product and they forget to put the prospect in the center of the conversation. So instead of speaking about the issues that you are facing as a prospect and making hypotheses of the pain points that you are suffering from and trying to fit user case within your scenario that makes sense with your industry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they tend to go straight into the product. And from my conversation with C-level people, it could be infrastructure, it could be CMOs, it could be CISOs, it could be CIOs, it could be CFOs, all the, you know, from the fintech perspective, everything. those guys are fed up with people telling them about product. What they want, they want someone who's got the decency to actually do their research, engage with them and tell them, well, I've done a bit of research because I respect you as a prospect. I know that we'll have one shot with you only. So that's one shot. This is what I've, I think I understand of your context. This is where I think we can help you. This is how we've helped companies like you in the past. And this is the value of that first engagement with us. And I think it's extremely difficult for internal team to do so because they may not have access to the intelligence. They may not have access to the, to the contact. And, and, and also you need to have a certain level of confidence to do so. Now, while I agree on that point, I've got another question for you, which is more on the shortage of skills. And I would like to get your thoughts on that. In the UK, we're speaking about something called Brexit. It's a fantastic political things happening. I don't know if we're going to ever see the end of it, but it's happening at the moment. Now, we know that this, this will mean that there will be less resources, probably less native resources from France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and all that coming into the UK market, okay, coming to London. But we also know that most of our clients have uh, operation centers or, or their head office in the UK. At the same time, if I look at the US, you mentioned San Francisco, so the Bay Area in general. You mentioned New York, which I think is New York Metro slash Boston and all those great, great, great places. And, and I know and I'm being told that the unemployment, the unemployment rate, so basically the, the rate of people who don't have a job is really low. We're talking about a percent or even sometimes less than a percent. And that's got to make it very difficult when you've got another 200, 300 competitors right, that are actually trying to do the same thing as you and trying to recruit BDR. So I would like to ask you, what's the sort of perception or what's the feedback that you get from your prospect and clients regarding skills shortage and regarding being able to scale quickly? Yeah. So I think that, that's a really important point. So recently, we've brought on a couple of clients that have said exactly that. I think this, this whole discussion we've just been having around the investment and comparing that but, of hiring internally versus externally. Yeah, that's that's one that's one that's one sort of thread of discussion. The other thread for me that I'm having more and more now is well, actually, yes, we could have a discussion around price, but quite frankly, we don't care about the price. We just can't find the resources in the Bay Area, or well, let's use the Bay Area for the for the set for, for this example. So a couple of the clients have recently come to us and said, look, we want to actually we would like to build our internal team from a strategic point of view. We'd like to have the team internally, but they're just not in in, in the region. Interesting anecdote I had from someone was, well, a lot of 
the um, younger guys that are going into and girls that are going into colleges, universities, they want to go and they, they know there's money in the software industry. They want to go and do computer science degrees and they want to go, come out and go into technical roles. And actually, they were saying that there's less and less people that are going into sales and marketing roles as they're, as they're leaving school. So therefore, obviously, SDR or BDR role being an entry level job, there's less and less individuals out there. And now, not only that, to your point, there's there's lots of jobs and, and not enough people to fill those jobs. And I think the other challenge that companies are having is a retention problem in places like the Bay Area. Because I had a conversation with a recruiter at RSA, Purity Conference a couple of weeks ago, and they were telling me they are telling people that they're speaking to or, or candidates they're speaking to never move laterally. So in other words, if you've got an SDR and they go go to their manager after three months and say, I want a 10 grand pay rise, probably the, the manager is not going to give it to them. So guess what? They'll go down the road and they'll, get an, they'll probably get a 15K pay rise and they'll get an SDR manager role. And then in six months' time, they'll go and get an inside sales manager role where, they're carrying a, where they may be carrying a quota or managing a quota carrying team as well. So the rate of progression, I believe, is really fast. I believe it's really tough to retain staff, but I think it's actually difficult to even attract the staff. So what, what we're seeing more now as well is that companies may head, be headquartered in, in a focal point like the Bay Area or like New York or like London, but then they may have different operation centers for their inside sales function. So for example, a couple of companies that I've recently spoken to, they're building teams in Austin or they're building teams in Chicago because they're, they're near um, good universities. Uh, the cost of employment is lower. The amount of competition is lower. Therefore, the staff retention is higher. And I think that's obviously something that we're seeing as well, being based in Dallas or, or and, and actually just a fraction outside of London. We can attract staff and we can retain the right caliber of staff as well. But I do believe that's really becoming a challenge in, in places like the Bay Area. Okay, well, that makes perfect sense. So uh, another misconception that I often come across is the lack of alignment of the BDR team with the sales marketing team. So basically getting that glue and that BDR function being an extension of marketing, then feeding up the, the sales team. And it seems that people seems to be, or prospects seems to be quite constant when it comes to using an external agency. So they're kind of thinking, well, if we've got everybody internally, we believe that that glue will glue. If we've got people externally, we believe that you will have a, we will have a, an issue in getting people working as an extension of each other. What are your thoughts on that? I personally think it actually all comes back to the sales process initially. I think something that we really try and do within the within the sales process is ensure that we're, we're speaking to, to both sides of the business. So me personally, I would never sell to a, a VP sales, um, having never spoken to the VP of marketing, because a lot of the time it's coming from a marketing budget. Likewise, I've seen large programs of ours in the past where we've only sold to marketing and marketing have a maybe a pipeline generation goal or a sales engagement goal and they want to meet it but they actually haven't told the sales team that they're going to put this initiative in place and guess what the the, the relationship between our team and the sales team is is broken from day one so that's the first thing i think it's really important to sell to both both um, sales and marketing the second piece of that for me is um when we do sell to those individuals it is not about trying to put together or force together forced proposal down their throat, I should say. It's not about just trying to put together an off-the-shelf proposal. For us, it's really about being integrated into their objectives. So I think it's really important for us to understand, well, what are they trying to achieve this year or this quarter or this second half of the year? Is Whether that's from a revenue perspective, whether that's from a, a pipeline ob- objective, or wh- whether that's trying to push into a new region. We need to work back from an objective of the company in order to have a program in place that's actually impacting their their business. 
you know, I think if you went to a, a kind of bog standard telemarketing company and you sold them 100 hours of work or you sold them 100 meetings, well, what's that really mean to either the sales and marketing department if it's not integrated into their uh, objectives? That's, a, that's the first thing. So I think it comes back to the sales process. The other thing once we, once we get into working with those organizations is from day one, I think that has to be absolute clarity on what success is. And when I talk about success, it is, well, what's the qualification for a sales engagement? What's the expected conversion rate to opportunity? What is an opportunity? And all those different things. So that we're absolutely crystal clear on what success looks like and and we're both going in in the right direction. The other obvious thing is is communication. I think there's there's two forms of communication, really. I think there's the formal cadence, which is weekly, monthly, quarterly business reviews. And then there's the informal cadence, which is the the relationship between our team and the sales team in, in, in general. And as an additional point on that, I think it's really important that we have something called the feedback loop, which is if a meeting has taken place or if a conversation has taken place or if we've received an objection from a prospect or whatever that conversation may be. It's really important that we feed back to the client's sales and marketing team, the, the voice of the customer, so what we're hearing in the market. Likewise, what they're hearing back from prospects that they've been engaged with by operatics so that we can track the conversion rates and we can track what's good and what's bad from a kind of anecdotal perspective. Ultimately, if you put all those things in place, I think you're, you're kind of integrated into their sales and marketing teams. Now, in terms of actually bridging the gap between the sales and marketing teams, a lot of the time we're fulfilling part of account-based marketing. That could be yeah. that they've got 100 named accounts and those named accounts have been selected by the sales team, but the sales team have said to the marketing team, we need your initiative to go and penetrate those accounts for us. And we'll fulfill yeah. a part of that whereby the marketing team may be doing events and webinars and various content email campaigns, and we're fulfilling a part of that, which is actually that proactive piece of finding the contacts, engaging with the contacts and creating the demand. And obviously, if you're integrated into that, then, then and, it's, and it's part of the sales team's target accounts, well, it kind of naturally marries the, the two functions together. So I think it's a, it's a few different elements there that that's important Absolutely. to have in place in, in order to, to have that. Understand the objective, have the end check, so everybody takes responsibility in the process and then start delivering. I think from my perspective, when we start a campaign, it's also you know landing some of the sparky results at the beginning of a campaign so you can own the respect from both the sales and marketing team. And and then I think it's it's about driving honesty in a relationship. You know, unfortunately, we're in the business of business development, which is a tough business. It's not an easy one, particularly when you do it proactively. It's it's tough. You know, I think everybody will recognize that. And you can't just get it perfect all the time. So it's about being able to have a line of communication and be able to calibrate when when needs be. I've got one last question for you. Now that we're running a little bit of time out of time, but I'm, I'm, I kind of like the interaction, so we're just going to go on for a little bit longer today. The last mi- misconception that I, I really sometimes really burn me in, and particularly when I speak to marketing people. So I've, we've got obviously I've got a few of marketing clients, marketing friends working in the industry, and sometimes they get frustrated because they feel that the value out of the, the essence of the value of the SQL is not realized by the inside sales team. So let me rephrase that. Basically, they give a bunch of marketing qualified leads or leads to their sales team, and they don't get any feedback, any return on the feed, apart from the fact that the leads are not good enough. What's your opinion on that? What's your return on experience regarding inbound leads and the way they should be managed, the way they should be treated by inside teams? So I think uh, it, it's an interesting point. From from my perspective, marketing's responsibility shouldn't be to deliver the perfect lead. It should be to to identify or create some sort of engagement with a target account or a target persona. 
Um, with that said, with what we see is probably in a maximum of 30% of the time, and I may be being generous there as well, that the person that's making the inquiry or, or is the marketing qualified lead is at the right level within the right target account. So, I mean, to use one of your analogies, you've often used what we see is that if, for example, if we wanted to buy a new desk, which hopefully with some of these new clients coming in soon, we'll, we'll need to. Um, if we wanted to buy a new desk for operatics, I don't think it, you and your role as a CEO is going to go and look online for, for desks. You're probably going to ask our office manager. Once you make some inquiries, the person at the, the furniture company is probably going to get very excited because there's a sales inquiry. But the reality is they're dealing with the person that's not actually going to have the authority just to purchase a solution or the, the, the furniture in this instance. So that person will then have to go back to their, their manager, being you, share the cost, go back again, negotiate, come back to you again. And ultimately, what that means is, is you're not really dealing with the right person. That's going to create a very long sales cycle. So there's a, there's a couple of things that we, we do to try and get around that. The first thing is it is important to service that inbound lead, that inbound inquiry, because from a customer experience perspective, but also there could be some extremely valuable information to be gained from someone at, at a lower level in a business. So you may want to engage with that analyst because it's JP Morgan and JP Morgan is a target account, but that analyst isn't a target persona. So you may want to pick up some information for that person. But then the next step is actually to really do turn that inbound engagement into a into a proactive approach, which is, right, well, we know there's some interest from JP Morgan. Who are the other five to 10 people within that business that we would want to engage with typically? And actually turn that into a proactive approach, more of an account-based prospecting approach, and go and engage with that, those individuals with the context that you've picked up from the lower level individual, individual and articulate their value, your value proposition and create the demand. I think that's kind of the, the really important takeaway from marketing qualified leads is that they're not going to be perfect, but you have to use some of the intel that you're picking up from that that inquiry to turn it into a proactive approach. And actually, I don't think enough of the inside sales teams we see are doing that. And they just want to burn through a number of contacts and and hope they find a diamond in the rough. Well, actually, there's there's probably a lot of diamonds in there if you turn into a proactive approach. I guess guess it's all relative, but my take on that is the higher your average deal value the more you should force yourself in trying to join the dots between a very average inquiry versus what's going on into the account. Sometimes what we've seen is actually, with, with one customer that I won't mention, we, we realized that there are 15 different inquiries from the same account, but from different locations. And basically because those inquiries were on paper, quite frankly, not the right guy, too, too junior, probably not the right person, most of them were not followed up. but no one actually joined the dot. No one looked at them because you had one team dealing with that area, another team dealing with that other area. So, so maybe it was more of a marketing operation, sales operation, management issue. But when the dots are joined and you realize that you know, you've know you got 15 people over the last couple of months that have been taking contents, looking at contents, and all looking at the same thing, you can use great tools like Sales Navigator, mark them as leads, you get some other suggestions, and very quickly you've got that snowball effect of all the people in the food chain. And when you've got all those people in the food chain, what you can do and what you should do, if particularly if your average deal value is, I don't know, north of 50, 80, 100K dollars, where you can invest a little bit in your cost of sales and you should have a, a more proactive BDR function, a more proactive ISR function, it's to actually proactively engage with those contacts and just go and talk to them and say, look, we've seen lots of activity from some of your colleagues quite low level, but we're just trying to understand what's going on. But most importantly, if you are in that approach, you can almost get a, a very soft approach of saying, well, there is lots of information available everywhere. 
what exactly are you looking after so we can I can boil it down and give it to you, right? So in a nice way, you're basically helping them to find the information and as you are doing so, you're also qualifying them. But that, unfortunately, I don't see that happening often enough. But that's, that's, that's it. That's a, a little frustration that I will keep and hopefully we, we saw that issue here at Operatics for our clients. Dan, we're getting to the end of the podcast. It's a shame because I probably have another 20, 30 questions that we could have, we could have discussed in length. But I really appreciate your time and insights on, on the question I had for you today. I think you, a couple of war stories that you shared are, are you know, close to my heart. So I, I really, really appreciate that as well. I think our audience will be delighted to hear you on our future episode as a co-host of the show. Uh, through your experience, through the people that I know in your network, I think you're going to also bring some fantastic guests to the show so that that's going to get uh, more exciting for our audience and we'll be able to produce a little bit more uh, episodes, which is which is also great. Um, but before we finish, could you please leave us the best way to contact you, the best way to engage with you if any of our listeners were to want to take that conversation offline with you and discuss any of the topics we discuss in more details with you? Yeah, I guess probably the, the best two places would be the first one would be my email address, which is daniel.seabrook at operatics.net. Or the alternative would be to find me on LinkedIn, which is, which is Dan Seabrook. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's been a good conversation. Looking forward to uh, having more of these discussions with, with some future guests. But if you want to get in touch, they're, they're the best two uh, means of communication. That's great. Well, many thanks once again, Dan. Really appreciate your time. It's great to have you on the show and very much looking forward to you being the co-host and making some great stuff and carrying on a journey with us on the podcast. Thanks very much. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.